classics readable, relevant, and fun. Each episode, we'll discuss one classic book and share some recommendations for more contemporary reads that feature similar themes. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to talk to you today about 84 Charing Cross Road because this week, by the time this comes out, this will have been months ago, (laughs) (laughs) this week you posted on Instagram and said that you were so mad that nobody had (laughs) pressed this book into your hands earlier. Yeah, it's like one of those books that I think people assume that if you're a bookworm, you've read it. And so everyone recommends it in general. But no one specifically said, (laughs) Chelsea, this book is sassy and charming and earnest and bittersweet in all of the ways that you like your books to be. You need to read it. (laughs) I actually... um, I got a message because I added to that, you know, I realized that this might just be my fault because some people know that if they tell me to read a book, I just kind of don't because (laughs) I have this terrible personality habit where if someone tells me to do something, I don't want to do it. I've been that way since I was four. Ask my mom. (laughs) But I, I did have someone send me a message. She was like, yeah, I really thought that if I told you to read it, maybe you wouldn't. So I did (laughs) it. That's hilarious. So, I'm sorry. I'm not always like that. I do take people's recommendations sometimes. But. <laughs> well, and I had only read this once before. So I remembered, you know, all of the bookish stuff and the charm. And I remember it being funny, but I didn't remember the sassy tone, which I think is kind of what puts it over the edge into like a book that's perfect for you. Yeah. (laughs) I was just so pleased to read this book and read it in one sitting, which I think is exactly how it's supposed to be read. There were just so many things about it that I loved and that I can see myself revisiting. And it was just the perfect, cozy, comforting read. It really is. I was gifted this by my sister-in-law who saw it on like an end cap display at Kramer Books in Washington, D.C., which is my favorite bookstore. And she just, you know, she said she picked it up and was like thumbing through it while she was in line. And I think she basically almost like finished it while she was in line (laughs) Um, and knew she had to, to get it for me. So she got that for me a couple of years ago and I read it really quickly after and, um, Yeah, but I hadn't revisited it. But it's nice that it's so short because I've gotten messages from many readers who say they read it every year. And this is a book that I can totally see reading every year because like you said, it can and almost is meant to be read in a single sitting. I agree. Yeah. I I was just so completely charmed by it. And I mean, it's the kind of book that can be described as charming, but it isn't trite. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe we'll get into articulating that a little bit better. Um, But it, it had a really nice balance of 
being charming, but not in a super saccharine way, but in like a real life feeling very, I don't know. I just, there are so many things I loved about it. I don't think I have anything else to say about my reading experience without getting into the book. So I think that we should jump into our discussion. Yes. So this is a work of nonfiction. It's a collection of letters, which might sound so boring at first. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it begins when Helene Hanf, she is an author, um, and she, in the 19 late 1940s she's looking to track down a particular book that she just cannot find anywhere and so she writes to marks and company which is a little antiquarian bookshop in london with the address of 84 charing cross road and that begins this 20 year correspondence between her and Frank Doel. I'm glad he tells us in the book how to pronounce Doel, yes. <laughs> like Noel. And they write about mostly books. You know, she's ordering things constantly from the shop, but pieces of their lives work their way into the letters in just a way that's both delightful and really poignant. And you just learn so much about everyone who works at the shop and you learn a lot about Helene and yeah, it's, it's, that's, I mean, that's basically the summary, but I mean, you don't really read the book for what happens. You read it for how it makes you feel. I think part of when I realized not just that, Oh, this is a book that I'm enjoying, but part of when I realized, Oh, this is a book I'm going to love is the tone shift after a few of their, letters because the first one starts out very formal. They, I think that's probably the journey of this book is just watching their letters go from very formal to progressively more and more intimate and sassy and familiar. Mm-hmm. And so the <laughs> um, letter where all of a sudden in all caps, <laughs> Lean says, what kind of a black Protestant Bible this kindly <laughs> inform the Church of England that they have loused up the most beautiful prose ever written. Whoever told them to tinker with the Vulgate Latin, they'll burn for it. You mark my words. And you, it was kind of a jolt. Like, I don't think that we missed any letters in between because the prior one was the 9th of November and this was November 18th. Mm-hmm. The jump and the boldness of her to decide like, oh, okay, I have a relationship with this bookstore now because they've sent me a couple of books that I can get. I can insert my sense of humor and they're going to just get it. And to <laughs> basically say, I mean, she could really be offending someone saying uh-huh. that the Church of England is going to burn <laughs> sending this letter to England. Um, and you know, I like that, that she that... goes on to say... <laughs> It's nothing to me. I'm Jewish myself, but I have a Catholic (laughs) sister-in-law is amazing. And then his response of, I am so sorry we made the mistake with the Latin Bible. (laughs) Yes, just very steady and exactly what you would think of a British bookseller. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that that the fact that that tone shift comes so early on mm-hmm. and that you can immediately get the sense that she's needling him and I mean she she feels totally comfortable being sassy and um abrasive, I guess in some sense. Uh but in of course a really um not in a malicious or mean-spirited way at all. She's just kind of prodding him gently. She can already, it seems like she can just already tell that this is the beginning of a real relationship, a real friendship. And it's it's so fun from that point on to see how, like you said, how the formality shifts and how they go about um, expressing their their friendship in writing. Yeah. And it's not, there isn't a moment where they say, Hey, we're friends now. It's the really little things that mm-hmm. make such a difference. I mean, just the difference between dear Miss Hanf to dear Helene. Mm-hmm. It's such a difference. And I, I'm such a word nerd and I love communication and language. And I think that's a big part of why I liked this book. I, there are lots more things to to just gush about, and we'll circle back to this. But I um, am so curious about this now that you've kind of mentioned some of the small things that clue us in about how the friendship is changing, like going from Dear Miss Hanf to Dear Helene and the way he signs his name. I often struggle with epistolary novels. I want to like them. I have some that I really like. But oftentimes I struggle because the the things that are in the letters are not to me believable things that would be in letters. Like, <laughs> like I just don't yeah. believe that people sit down and write, you know, I'm sitting at my or or I decided to write this letter because or just just things that novelists put in their epistolary novels to clue us in on on the context and what's going on make sure we have all the information makes the letter format feel contrived to me sometimes and so it was just so spectacular to see real letters forming a narrative and sometimes you would start a letter and be a little disoriented not sure what letter came before or um or what the context was but the way she selected them really helped create a full narrative. And it was just lovely to see bits of people's lives filtering into these letters in a way that what was obviously authentic because these are real letters. Yeah, you make a really good point about epistolary novels. And I really do. I generally like epistolary novels. I'm willing to suspend quite a bit of disbelief. But if I were to write one, this is certainly a book that I would study mm-hmm. in order to make it sound more authentic because a lot of the events that would be big events in an epistolary novel, like uh, Frank's wife being in the hospital for a while, and he sort of casually in his letters, like, I'm sorry I was gone for so long. We were dealing with this family thing. But it was just a brief mention. It wasn't like pages of description about what's happening. And dear Helene, I'm here at the hospital and I'm writing to explain everything. We don't really know exactly what went on. And that did feel much more true to life. But it doesn't mean that you can't guess at what's happening in the background. Um 
who was it who moved with her husband, I think, to Iraq for the military? And then Frank was basically like, yeah, we haven't heard from her in years. Yeah, we meet. So we meet several other characters who are other people who work at the shop. There are a couple of women and then some older gentlemen and and each of them write to Helene at various places. But yeah, there are all of these these holes. And I can see maybe how that might frustrate some readers, but it just felt so real to me, especially over the course of 20 years. Like to see 20 years go by in a couple of hours that you're reading this book is is almost like a feat of magic. Like, but it's just so true that you can have people who you see every day and you're so close to. And then, you know, if someone were to ask you 10 years later, whatever happened to that person, you would be like, oh, I I have no idea. It's just, yeah. I I just think it captures life so well. Yeah, it does. And it captures incredible history. Mm-hmm. So the first letter is 1949, post-World War II, and then the last little bits are 1969, and thinking about everything that happens. So a big part of this book and the heartwarming nature of it is that Helene is American and she, America is booming after the war. Their industry is thriving the dollar goes really far. And so she's able to treat her London friends to these, what would feel like absolute luxuries to them. Baskets of fresh eggs shipped in from different countries and cakes and big hams and all of these things that they couldn't necessarily get in living in rubble and trying to recover from the decimation of the war. So we get that history and that rebuilding background. And then at one point, Frank is talking about the Beatles being in town and how much (laughs) he's like, I think they are pretty good, but I'm sick of all the screaming fans. (laughs) And just those little pieces and hints of history are so authentic. And it totally connects to... Helene's reading taste because she talks about how she doesn't want to read. She loves reading nonfiction. We get a big picture of her reading taste with each book that she is asking him to get. And she says, I want to read about history from the people who lived it. And I want to read about the small details of history and feel like I'm there. And that's what I feel like we're getting out of this too. Mm -hmm. We're getting history from the people who lived it and we get a sense of what it was like to live during these time periods without getting this, you know, elaborate World War II spy story where they're sending letters and, you know, the other historical fiction that we might read. I think you're so right that what she likes to read becomes what this book is. And that is really cool to see because she didn't write these letters for them to become a book. She was just witnessing she and frank were just witnessing history and corresponding with each other but she really has um created the type of thing that she would probably have ordered from 84 charing cross road i also of course loved the physical descriptions of the books like how um she talks about the buttery soft vellum and the cream pages and 
it's just, you can really, it's very sensory. You can really, Mm -hmm. you can feel the books in your hands. Um, And she describes them much more, uh, with much more tactile imagery than visual imagery. Like she doesn't always tell you the colors of the the spines and things like that, but you can feel them. Um, I love the descriptions where she gets a book where the pages haven't been cut and <laughs> she gets to cut the pages and be the first person who's read this very old book. Of course, like like we said, this is often described as a book for book lovers, and it appreciates the written word, but also the book as an object. It's so special. And I have to say, I think a big part of why that just connected to my reader heart is that I love used bookstores even more than I like new ones. I know that we're all about any independent bookstore. It's not that I don't love the shiny new, but I love used bookstores and antique shops as well, which kind of, you know, they kind of mesh together in this book. And imagining Frank going and hunting for these beautiful copies And just thinking about how old some of the books were that he sent her and how she finds that so magical because as an American, especially at the time, over the course of the 1950s that she was living, everything was new and shiny. And for her to get these old, old books as an anchor to the past was just, I don't know. I'm letting my romantic heart show. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's so... It's romantic. It is. I love when she talks about her love for old books and used books. And then she talks about a book lover's anthology. And she says um, that she'll have it till the day she dies and die happy in the knowledge that I'm leaving it behind for someone else to love. I shall sprinkle pale pencil marks through it, pointing out the best passages to some book lover yet unborn. I love the idea of a well-loved book. And not that she doesn't take, she takes very good care of her books, but she shows her love for them like physically and that someone else will discover that years and years from, from when she passes the book on is so special. I love, so uh, this book really is operating on a few different levels because we get the story of Helene and Frank and their friendship and her meeting basically via letters, this community of people who work at this bookstore and making friends with, with all of them. And I think we should circle back to talk about their friendship a little bit more, but since we're talking about the book stuff on another level, we also get the story of someone's reading life. Mm -hmm. We get a full picture of her reading life, what type of reader she is, what her book tastes are without looking at a reading log or without her specifically writing about, you know, what she's reading. She's, she's saying what she loved. She's asking for more books. She's sharing little tidbits. But for example, I of course loved the part where she says, you'll be fascinated to learn from me that hates novels that I finally got around to Jane Austen and went out of my mind over Pride and Prejudice, which I can't bring myself to take back to the library till you find me a copy of my own. And I just love (laughs) that this avid reader of nonfiction and lover of history read Jane Austen and was delighted by her. (laughs) It's so fun. It makes so much sense because Austin's books have that I was there 
I was witnessing mm. feel that she loves. Um, I loved how much she hates the romantic poets. Uh, <laughs> I, I like when she writes, I require a book of love poems with spring coming on. No Keats or Shelley, which is underlined. Send me poets who can make love without slobbering, <laughs> which is such a great line. Should we talk a little bit more about Helene and Frank? Because I feel like we just haven't talked. I mean, we've hinted certainly at her personality and being snarky and her sense of humor, but we haven't talked all that much about Frank, especially. Yeah, he is at least at, on the page, much more earnest. Um And she says in one of her letters to another person in the bookshop that she's trying to get him to crack his, like, stiff British upper lip. (laughs) And she kind of does. Like, he starts teasing a little bit back. Um, We learn from other people that Frank has a great sense of humor and really appreciates Mm -hmm. um, Helene's Helene's sense of humor. And you can definitely see that on, on the page, the way he responds. It's almost like he responds in a way to let her continue poking fun the way she wants to. Um, And it's so, it just seems like they really get each other, even though they haven't met, right? They're just writing. Yeah. They're, they're playing the roles that they're meant to play in these letters. And (laughs) I, I do love, and it's, brilliant, of course, for her to include some letters, for instance, from Nora, Frank's wife, who writes to Helene and is able to sort of give a different perspective to the reader on Frank and talk about their daughters in a different way in their family. And just brilliant to include some of those letters from the other booksellers and from Frank's family to just round out the picture of who he is and give us some more hints. And there are a couple of moments where we do get a glimpse of his sense of humor where he says something a little bit sly. But yeah, for the most part, he really is staying true to playing the straight man to her comedian Mm -hmm. role. And so another thing, if we're, this isn't exactly about Frank, but it's about all of these people in general They are so gracious about accepting Helene's gifts in a way that I just don't think, I think people are so uncomfortable with these days Hmm. that, you know, they do, um, they're providing her a service. And so every now and then they'll treat her by sending her a book that, you know, they think that she might like, or, you know, keeping her account. But they accept her gifts so graciously and without making a big stink about like, oh, you didn't have to do that. We're fine. Blah, blah, blah. They just very graciously and wholeheartedly accept her gifts and, you know, write her thank you notes and are very sweet about it, but they're not effusive with praise for her or um, trying to like make up for the deficit or, you know, they don't feel like it doesn't seem like there's a power imbalance there. Mm. There's just this really lovely graciousness about it on both parties that just that, that I think contributed to the feeling of real friendship. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. I, that jumped out to me at one point when she asks, she says, okay, for, for, 
I forget if it's for Christmas or Easter. Do you want fresh eggs or powdered eggs? You know, yeah. obviously the powdered eggs last longer, but the fresh tastes better. And there was no response of, oh, don't worry about it. It was like, mm-hmm. I talked to everyone and we would love the fresh eggs. Thank you so much. Like, yeah, just like you said, there's this real, there's this generosity, but then there's this acceptance of that generosity. And that does go a long way to establishing what this relationship is and how real it is. I also love towards the end when one of Helene's friends goes to visit the bookshop, which I love. So Helene, <laughs> and and this might be, I mean, this might be getting into sort of a touch of spoilers, but throughout the whole correspondence, Helene really wants to travel to London. And every time she gets close to saving enough money, something ends up happening where she loses a job or um, something happens with her apartment or, and she just, so, but she has many friends who travel there (laughs) and she always sends them to the bookshop. And I loved when one of her friends wrote and said, you might have warned us. We walked into your bookstore and said we were friends of yours and were nearly mobbed. Your Frank wanted to take us home for the weekend. (laughs) Mr. Marks came out from the back of the store just to shake hands with friends of Miss Hamph. Everybody in the place wanted to wine and dine us. We barely got out alive. (laughs) And so there just there is this sense of like she's kind of a, you know, a, a celebrity of their shop in the sense that they they love getting her letters. They read them together. Um, they all correspond with her, but it's not, like you said, there's not a weird power imbalance there. There's just this really lovely sense of community. In addition, I think to that beautiful sense of community, we've already touched on how, because these are real letters in the moment, there's this sense of everyday life. But I also think that there's such a realistic arc of what might happen over 20 years and that it isn't all sweetness and lightness. Nothing too terribly traumatic happens over the course of the book, but Helene has setbacks that make her unable to go and travel to London, even when it feels like she's getting so close and then you feel let down. And the ending of this collection is so sad. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the end. And and if you haven't read this and, and want to, I, I think this is a book that is okay to know the ending of going sure. into. Um, but if you don't want to know, go ahead and skip ahead to our pairings. You can find the timestamp in our show notes. The end is sad. I I cried. <laughs> and yeah, uh, it's very moving. So do you want to talk a little bit about it? So on the 8th of January, 1969, Helene gets a letter from the secretary of the bookstore. And it's to inform her that Frank Doel has passed away. And it's such a sad and uh, just sudden death. He's pretty young and he had a ruptured appendix and basically got an infection and died from that, which is just so heartbreaking. And then we get a letter from Nora who says, we still want you to come and visit. Our daughters would love to see you. 
I admit I was sometimes a little bit jealous of you because Frank was so enamored with your letters, which feels very (laughs) genuine. And yet she has this real friendship with Helene, Nora does. I loved that part because I wondered, I, as I was reading, and you know, Nora was so gracious and loving in all of her letters. And what she says at the end about being jealous doesn't negate any of that, but it just reminds you like, these are real people with complex feelings. Like they're not just, you know, the letters and their lives aren't all just sweetness and friendship. There are hard and icky feelings too. It's just such a picture of real life, of the mixture of bitter and sweet. And I have found myself so drawn to books like this, books that make me laugh and also make me teary, but not sobbing or weepy. Mm -hmm. They just strike the exact right balance of catharsis. (laughs) And I, I just thought that this one did that so perfectly. And yeah, we keep, I think we keep, coming back to balance in so many ways that this this book is. And I I mean, I wonder if part of that, I mean, certainly part of it is just the sheer loveliness of the people of that populate this this book. But also I just think Helene is a great writer. She was a script writer. Mm-hmm. She had a really great understanding of character and developing story. And I think all of that comes across in this. This is a book that has spoken to so many readers, but it also, I think there's so many, um, it just feels so alive because Mm -hmm. of course, Charing Cross Road is still there and changing. And um, like the books that she wrote in and that she ordered are still out there somewhere. And it just, I love that kind of like touchstone of history that this book feels like. All right, Chelsea, I am really eager to hear your pairings for 84 Charing Cross Road. I just, I mean, I know, especially when it's a book that you really love, it's always fun to pick things that are in conversation with it. So what is your first pairing for us today? My first pairing is... Dear Fahrenheit 451, Love and Heartbreak in the Stacks, A Librarian's Love Letters and Breakup Notes to the Books in Her Life by Annie Spence. And this is a delightful little collection, totally easy to read in one sitting, just like 84 Charing Cross Road. And Annie Spence is a librarian, and this is a collection of letters. She writes letters to books. And it's a mix of books that she loved, a mix of books that she hated, a mix of random books that she found in the library that are just sort of obscure. And I think what really makes this pair well with Helene Hamp's book is the sense of humor. Annie Spence is incredibly snarky and sarcastic and sassy, and that comes across in many of the letters, but some of them are also incredibly earnest, and it just felt like a great mix. I think that it's a book for book lovers, and especially just the letter factor. There are so many things that make it pair well with 84 Cheering Crossroad, and... I think that people would really, really enjoy it, especially if they 
They liked the epistolary nature and the sense of humor from Helene Hanf. I really loved that book. And I listened to it on audio. And I loved it on audio because Annie Spence read it and you could totally hear all of her snarkiness in her voice. Oh, yes. I love this one, too. It is so fun. I, I of course, thought about it because of the books and the letters, but I'm really glad you mentioned the sense of humor because that's so true that that is what really makes that book sing. I have done assignments where I had my students. We we read the letters, some of the letters, and then they wrote letters oh, to books. Oh, that's so books. fun. Yeah, it's really fun. So highly recommend for teachers out there. Um, that's a great assignment. You could do it with literally any age group. Um, not any age group could read all of the letters because some of them are um, <laughs> some of them not are the Fifty adult. Shades letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is your first pairing, Sarah? I'm going to switch mine around a little because looking at our pairings, I feel like we have paired pairings in here. <laughs> so my first one is. Um, Ex Libris by Mashiko Kakutani, which Annie, another bookish Annie, Annie Jones, recommended as a great gift book. Um, after she recommended it, I had to get it. <laughs> it is um, absolutely delightful. Kakutani was, up until I think two years ago, I think she she left the New York Times um, book review. She was their most like preeminent um, book critic there. And she selected a hundred of her favorite reviews to put in this beautiful collection. And I mean, she's been covering books for the times for so long. So she has, she has her review of the handmaid's tale and the first Harry Potter books and where the wild things are and, um, you know, atonement and just books that are like these cultural touchstones. Now she, this collection has her thoughts on those books. And it is also illustrated so beautifully. I mean, I think that, of course, what connects this to 84 Charing Cross Road is it's a book about books. But it also, I think, Kakutani's strong opinions, while they're not as sassy as Helene Hanf's because she was writing for the New York Times, not for <laughs> a friend through letters, um, she has strong opinions about these books and she does not hold back from what she she thinks about them, positive or negative. So if you love 84 Charing Cross Road, if you like Dear Fahrenheit 451, this is one ex libris to add to your list as well. All right, what's up next for you? Next, I have a book that I think that you loved too, Dear Mrs. Bird by A.J. Pierce. I actually don't love this book. Oh, really? I, I yeah. thought that you liked this one. <laughs> I recommend it a lot because I think I think it's a really good book. It's just not to my taste. So I definitely post about it on my Instagram frequently when people ask for recommendations. I will say I listened to the audio. I found the narration to be like a little too plucky for mm. my taste. But I want to hear more about why you love it. Yeah, I so a big reason that I really, really liked this book is because it is World War II historical fiction, but I felt like it gave just a completely different type of storyline and a different 
view of the war than we often get in historical fiction. This isn't a story told in back and forth perspectives of the war in present day. It's not about spies or about soldiers. It's about real people living in London doing just their daily work while getting bombed. And it definitely features a plucky heroine. Emmy Lake really wants to be a reporter and she wants to be on the front lines. And so she's really excited when she gets a job in a newspaper, but it turns out that this newspaper job is for a typist job, not a reporter role. And she is a typist for the newspaper's famous advice columnist, Henrietta Bird. And Emmy is not satisfied with (laughs) the way that Mrs. Bird runs the advice column. Mrs. Bird is very strict about what kind of letters will actually make it into the advice column and the magazine or newspaper. And so many letters end up in the trash. Anything sort of too dark or grim, anything related to uh, an unwanted pregnancy or alluding to sex is not allowed. But Emmy reads these letters and she can't help but respond to the people who were writing in. And so that's part of it. But Really beyond that, I think that this is a story about friendship. Emmy has this best friend named Bunty, and <laughs> they are sort of girls about town, but I I just thought that their friendship was really sweet. It's not, I mean, that you see the cover and you think like, oh, this is going to be just like this bright, sunny book, but it's not. It's also sad. And I, I really think that it strikes a very similar balance in tone to 84 Cheering Crossroad, where there are these light and funny moments and people to root for and characters that you fall in love with, but then also just the the real life stuff that balances that out and, and makes it a really good mix of bittersweet. And then, I mean, of course, letters are a factor in the book, but it's not epistolary. You get like snippets of letters, but it's not told in that format. But I think that people who love 84 Charing Cross Road would really enjoy Dear Mrs. Bird by A.J. Pierce. Every time you talk about this book, it makes me want to give it another try. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay if it's just not to your taste. That's totally fine. Well, and I do think that for me, books that are sweet, and like you said, this one's bittersweet. It's not saccharine. Mm. Um, I have to read books that are sweet at exactly the right time (laughs) because it's just not my typical wheelhouse. I want it to be. And so sometimes I try to read them and it's just the wrong mood for where I am. And then I don't enjoy them. But once I like pile on like five or six really dark books, (laughs) (laughs) then I can reach for something sweet. It's balance. We've been talking about balance this whole episode. My balance just is like, you know, a little bit weighted in one direction. (laughs) You have some, you have at least one pretty sweet book on your list of pairings. Okay. That's where I'm going next. (laughs) 
This book is super sweet and I think a great pairing for Dear Mrs. Bird. Um, And this is one that many, many people have read. It is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society by Marianne Schaffer and Annie Barrows. I read it not that long ago and something I'd seen floating around for many years and waited on until I needed a really sweet book. Um, And I'll start with why this is a great pairing. It's a great pairing because the whole thing, the whole story kicks off when Juliet Ashton, she's a writer, and she receives a letter from a man named Dozzy Adams who lives on Guernsey, which is this island in the English Channel. And he has found some of her used books in a used bookstore and her name and address is in, is in the books. And so he writes to her. So of course, used bookstore, epistolary novel being kicked off by, you know, the discovery of a book um, just fits so well with 84 Charing Cross Road. They begin a correspondence and then eventually Juliet goes to the island and she, she kind of falls in love with this group of people who have formed what they call the Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, where they gather once a week and eat terrible potato peel pie and talk about the books that they've read and loved recently. So yeah, this is another book for book lovers. It's set during World War II, um, similar to Dear Mrs. Bird. It really is more looking at um, kind of the smaller, quieter lives affected by World War II. Guernsey, the island, was occupied Um, under the Nazis for many years um, during the war. And that was an interesting bit of historical context to learn about. I will say this book has one of my least favorite literary tropes of all time, but I'm not going to say what it is because it's a spoiler. But if you want to know, you can email us (laughs) and I will tell you. Um, Okay, tell me, but cut it out. Okay, but... I still think this book is sweet and something that um, I highly recommend. I feel like in some ways, more people have read Guernsey Literary than will have read 84 Charing Cross. So this is almost a reverse pairing. (laughs) Like If you liked the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, you should probably go ahead and pick up 84 Charing Cross Road and Dear Mrs. Bird. Um, I think all three of those go really nicely together. That's so true. Okay, my last pairing, I actually just picked up like yesterday and I'm really excited about it. It is called Dinner with Edward, a story of an unexpected friendship by Isabel Vincent. And I got this in a little bundle of nonfiction books from Pushkin Press. I ordered their pretty copy of one of my favorite books, A Woman in the Polar Night, which I talked about on our episode on My Antonia. And this was part of the bundle because I was like, well, I can get this one book or I can get more nonfiction books that might surprise me. And this is a pleasant surprise. So also, I feel like ordering a bookish bundle is a very Helene Hanf thing to do. Like, Send me things that you know that I will like or things that are similar to this. So I love that. (laughs) It's true. And Pushkin Press is a UK publisher. So it's very, very in the spirit of 84 Cheering Crossroad. So Dinner with Edward is about Isabel. This is nonfiction. 
It's a memoir of sorts, but it's the story of a friendship. And so Isabel Vincent, she's a reporter. So it's kind of that like main character is a writer kind of theme that we've got going on here. And she lives down the street from a recently widowed 93-year-old man named Edward. She's actually friends with Edward's daughter. And Edward's daughter basically tells Isabel, you should go over to my dad's house and he will cook for you. And sort of sets up this relationship. So Isabel does. And he is an incredible cook. And he only started cooking maybe somewhere around his 70s. He decided, he told his wife, you've done all of the cooking so far. It's my turn. I will learn how to cook. And he took over and he's this incredible home cook. He doesn't believe in following recipes. He just does it all by like what he's picked up and by his instincts and what he's learned. And at the beginning of each chapter, it's a menu for their dinner from that evening or from that week. So their first dinner was grilled sirloin steak with a special sauce, new potatoes, chocolate souffle, and Malbec was their wine pairing. So he takes all of this time to specifically craft a menu for them. He says that you should treat family like guests and guests like family. And they just develop this really sweet friendship over their dinners together. He is grieving the loss of his wife. I mean, he's 93. They were married for 67 years or something like that. And he was in a really dark place after their death, but his dinners with Isabel really give him a a reason to keep going. There, I mean, I can see some readers picking this up and being a little bit leery. There are some strange gender dynamics here where he like takes Isabel to go and buy a dress and tells her, you know, like he's a 93 year old man and he was married in the 1950s. Like he has some, some outdated (laughs) ideas about what a, a woman's role should be. But Isabel acknowledges that and basically says like, I recognize these things about him, but in other ways, he was also very ahead of his time with other things. So you should kind of know that going in. But I just think, I mean, I think this pairs so well with 84 Charing Cross Road because of the friendship building that happens here. Edward writes letters to his deceased wife just as a practice of experiencing his grief, which is just, I mean, sweet and charming and Isabel is also, she's in a struggling marriage. She's having a really rough time. She lost her mother shortly after he lost his wife. And so she's grappling with her own grief as well. And he tells her to sit down and write a letter. And he also writes poetry. And so there's just a lot to connect this to 84 Cheering Cross, even though it's much more about food than about books. So... I'm just really, really enjoying this unexpected sweet memoir, Dinner with Edward by Isabel Vincent. That sounds wonderful. I am so glad you shared that. What a good pairing. I mean, don't you want to go over to someone's house while they're playing? He like plays jazz for her, hands her an ice cold martini when she walks in the door. I mean, I also just just want to go over to someone's house. (laughs) (laughs) 
sounds great. <laughs> oh, man. It's a very New York book as well. I should say that too. And so I thought that that setting with Helene, I feel like her New York letters are so New York. And so that's another reason that this works well. But anyway, that's I'll update everyone when I finish it. I'm excited to hear your update and I might pick that one up. I feel like we were on very similar wavelengths with our parents (laughs) because my last one is also one that I just started on audio. Um, And so again, I will give an update um, as I get closer, but it has the blessing of um, many, many people, including the National Book Award long list. This is my autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Shapland. And I was trying to find a book. I was combing through like my Goodreads and my shelves I was trying to find a book that I feel like Helene Hanf would like, and I just feel like she and I have very different reading tastes. (laughs) So, so that was really hard reading for me. Aristotle and the uh, Canterbury Tales, and she didn't like the Canterbury Tales, so that she didn't agree on. (laughs) But the fact that she just like wanted to read it for fun. Yeah, but I have been wanting to like fit in a little bit more nonfiction um, this last month of the year. And I've seen this on so many best of lists that I decided and I I love like a literary um, author biography. So I thought I would give this one a try. And like shockingly, um, some things early in the book popped up that made me think it would be a good pairing for 84 Charing Cross Road. So This book really is a memoir about Jen Shapland, and she is studying the famous author Carson McCullers. And so as she is doing research, she finds these letters that a woman named Anne Marie wrote to Carson McCullers. But Shapland is is like so curious about these letters because The way she had previously learned about McCullers was that the writer, she was much more reserved and just these kind of intimate details were totally missing from her understanding of McCullers. And so she really wants to dig into McCullers' personal life, but because she's fascinated with the author, but also because she is curious about missing queer stories from American history and, and America and the, like the the literary landscape. And so the book is mostly about Chaplin's almost obsession with McCullers, but in it she's painting a picture of a historic figure and how the way we tell the story of queer love has changed over the years. I I'm really I I don't normally get sucked into nonfiction, and I am really finding this one to be incredibly immersive. The fact that it started with letters, I was like, okay, great. (laughs) This seems like a good connection to 84 Charing Cross Road, but mostly I feel like this might be the type of book that Helene Hanf would enjoy. The intimate details of a life, looking at history, looking at a writer's biography with a new, fresh lens. All of that together made it seem like maybe something Helene would pick up. Maybe not treasure forever. She might return it to the library, (laughs) but she would maybe (laughs) give it a go. I love that. That's an excellent pairing. 
Well, and again, I'll keep everyone posted as I continue yes. on. Yes. I was just thinking she would love Jane Austen's letters, wouldn't she? Oh, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if, if she, if she ever them. If she ever picked those up after reading Pride and Prejudice. I hope so. Bonus pairing. <laughs> collected letters of Jane Austen. All right. Speaking of bonus pairings, we sometimes like to share picks of the week where we just suggest a show or podcast or bonus book that sort of go with the classic that we're talking about. So do you have a pick that matches 84 Cheering Cross Road? Yeah. What I have been watching on Netflix recently is The Crown. I watched the first two seasons and then my but my husband has not, but he wants to watch the new seasons. So we went back to rewatch season one and season season two. And so it was really cool reading 84 Charing Cross Road and seeing some of the events from The Crown as just these minor little sprinklings in their letters, like 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 the death of King George and the coronation mm-hmm. of Elizabeth, which are these obvious monumental historical events, but they're just one-off sentences in in the letters. Um, even things like the value of the dollar, like you were talking about, like those kinds of big political things that propel the crown forward. It was so interesting to then see this, the way those affect smaller, quote unquote, lives, day-to-day lives in 84 Charing Cross Road. So it's not like if you like one, you'll definitely like the other. But for me, yeah. reading and watching them together was a really cool experience. Oh, that's a great one. I also have a Netflix show. I've been watching The Repair Shop with my husband. And this is a delightful British show totally suited for people who love the Great British Baking Show, but there's no competition here. It is literally about a repair shop, (laughs) a bunch of artisans and, I mean, expert craftsmen work in this repair shop and these British people bring their antiques and their like priceless family heirlooms to come and be repaired. And you get the backstory behind the piece. So someone might bring in a painting and actually I'm thinking of this one. Um, It was a grandfather and his grandson and they brought in this painting of their ancestor who was like in court and the grandson, when he was younger, he's like this grown adult male like in the, on the show now. But when he was a boy, he shot a dart gun and made a hole in her lip in the painting. <laughs> <laughs> and so the expert, uh, like painting art conservationist, bops over and she's like, oh, I can fix that. And she goes and fixes it. And it's just so charming. I think if you like 84 cheering crossroad for the Britishisms and for the antique books and um, the stories, I think that the repair shop is just a fun, super cozy British winter show to watch. It's delightful. I think there are like three seasons on Netflix right now. That sounds great. And I know I cannot be the only one who's looking for something to sub in when I can't just watch repeat episodes of Bake Off anymore. It's truly the perfect substitute. It's even like similar videography and music. 
it's just no competition, but you get to know like each repair person, what they're expert in, and you kind of have your favorites and you get excited when they get to work on a project. It's really delightful. Oh, that's so fun. That wraps up our episode on 84 Charing Cross Road, and we can't wait to hear what you think of it. The book, the episode, our podcast. (laughs) If you are loving novel pairings, a great way to support our show is to share it in your Instagram stories or to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Both of those things are excellent ways to get the word out about our show and we so, so appreciate it. On Instagram, we are at Novel Pairings Pod, so don't forget to tag us. Thank you to Michelle Timmons for her assistance and to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with an episode full of love letters to books. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one time.